Hello, welcome to ABC Gotham, your semi-weekly recording of New York City history with topics according to the alphabet. You have heard our recording about the Atlantic Avenue Tunnel. This week we are going to bring you the history of beer. One of my favorite topics. One of Kate's favorite topics. Joining me as always is Kate, my co-host in your adventures in New York City history. I am Kathleen. Beer and breweries in... Brooklyn and Bronx and other boroughs. Do you have lots of exciting information? Yeah, I just, I I think I'd like to, yeah, I think I'd like to just apologize in advance that this podcast is going to be really Brooklyn-centric, and it's (laughs) largely because Brooklyn rocks. Brooklyn was home to 48 different breweries at the turn of the, I always want to say century, but I realize I should probably say the turn of the 19th to 20th century. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Brooklyn produced a fifth of the nation's beer. It's true. And there were some pretty big breweries here, Rheingold being one, Schaefer. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're really going to focus a lot on Brooklyn because a lot of the brewing was done in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and I as just. To whether or not this will be a very Brooklyn heavy podcast, hard to say, but so far it is. I mean, last week was Brooklyn and this week. Just to read you the numbers that I've found, around um, 1898, 1900s, there were 78 breweries in New York City. 50 of these were in Brooklyn. Most were in Bushwick. So this, yeah, just by virtue of the topic we have chosen, this is going to be kind of a Brooklyn-heavy episode. And I hope those of you who are big fans of the other boroughs will bear with us. But of course, it is not all exclusively Brooklyn, of course. The some very major ones, uh, Jacob Ruppert, Bert Knickerbocker, were were part of this brewery corridor on the Upper East Side in Manhattan, and I did find evidence of one place in Staten Island. German immigrants built numerous breweries in the area, including Bachmann, Bechtel, and Peels, whose brewery was in business on Staten Island until 1963. So. Oh. That is all I have on beer in Staten Island. And, and of course, if anybody, if you listen to this podcast and you know of breweries we have missed, feel free to let us know and maybe mm-hmm. eventually we'll have listener mail and we can mm-hmm. bring it up on the podcast and kind of correct anything that you guys find or if you have further information, feel free to let us know. I'm Absolutely. sure we'll have some kind of link. Leave comments on the website, on ABC Gotham's website or uh, on the Facebook page or at iTunes, any input is certainly appreciated. Well, I have one of the first brewers in America. So I have mm-hmm. back in 1612, mm-hmm. um, New Amsterdam um, at the time mm-hmm. only had about, I it, it varied 270 to 300 people living here, mm-hmm. but yet there were already three brewing, three breweries um, mm. up and running. Oh my gosh. And so I love that like, there's like one brewery for 100 people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that the this is kind of where the first commercial breweries in America started. Mm-hmm. But I had the first brewer here being George Errett. And I'm really sorry if I'm mispronouncing that last name. That's a tricky one to pronounce. I'm surprised they didn't Americanize it a little bit more. Errett's is E-H-E-R-E-T-S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not intuitive. No, but he emigrates here from Germany, which seems like there's a lot of... Brewers, brewmasters who mm-hmm. emigrate from Germany and really kind of change the face of what beer is in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And he, of course, opens the Hellgate Brewery. Mm-hmm. He kind of, it's kind of like an American success story. He starts just kind of working at the brewery and then becomes the head brewer. And eventually uh, he goes to his boss and is like, I want to have a brewery. And he buys, kind of buys it out and has his own business. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. within within a pretty, he's pretty young. He's mm-hmm. only 31 when wow. he finally starts Hellgate Brewery in 1866. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that was the original location was at 2nd Avenue, 92nd Street. That was one of the Manhattan ones. The building is no longer standing. Let's see. What I have here is at one point it was the nation's largest brewer. Actually, in 1878, Eric was producing more beer than any other brewery in the country. In the country. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is... We love New York and we love Brooklyn, but there was not a whole lot beer-wise where we're number one. Honestly, a lot of it was in Milwaukee, a lot of stuff in St. Louis. Certainly, you know, we're on the East Coast and there's there's plenty that went on here, especially if you consider New York State, the tri-state area, the Northeast. But there's not a, to- not a whole lot where you can say we're number one. But in 1878, we had, we had George Errett. Yeah, he was famous for his, like, Munich lager beer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which i you know before i I think it's before the civil war Mm -hmm. we're mostly drinking ales and english style beers Mm -hmm. but with the influx of german immigrants we start drinking lager beers which is an entirely different process to make the beer Mm -hmm. um and then it really kind of takes over and becomes america's beer so he's kind of pioneering what we're drinking now so what do you What's the difference, ale versus lager? I mean, I know you're you're a big fan and and aficionado of beers. I I certainly enjoy and consume my share of beer, but you know, even in the research, I didn't find a ton of information. Can you expand on the difference between the ale and the lager? Well, I do some home brewing, and we mostly make ales. Some mm-hmm. of it has to do with fermentation, how cold mm. you ferment it. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you brew a lager at a lower temperature, and I mm-hmm. think for a longer period of time. Um, I, do, I, do I mean, remember I that brew. Was part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I brew ales here, and we're usually fermented and ready to drink within a month. But I okay. think lagers take a bit longer. Okay. Okay. Ales are also something that can be served room temperature, mm-hmm. and I think taste great. Uh-huh. <laughs> Usually you have lagers as this like cold drink. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's also, it also kind of changes bars because, or saloons, pubs at the time, because you had to have these huge chunks of ice to keep the beer mm. like ice cold. Mm-hmm. And, um, it kind of changes also with refrigeration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just like a lighter, um, easier to drink, low, al- low, usually lower alcohol mm. beer. I do know, yeah, with some of the research was it's lighter. People found it just easier to drink. Yeah, and you're right about that it needs neither cooler temperatures for fermentation. One of the reasons that is proposed that so many breweries were set up in the Northeast is because it's cooler temperatures here than mid-Atlantic or or even moving into the Midwest. So it's interesting how the actual chemical and processing dictates of this product result in where all these breweries are set up. Right. And you, I mean, it can't drop below a certain temperature. It has to be between 
to between two temperatures. So if it goes below, say, 45 degrees, then it's mm -hmm. you're going to kill the yeast. If it goes above 55 degrees, it's not going to work either. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it may be harder maybe to brew. Maybe it's a harder beer to brew in, say, Michigan where the winters are harder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it just kind of took off here as the beer of choice for a long time, which is funny because a lot of the small brewer the breweries that are popping up now aren't really making this beer like they're going it's a they're going back to making the ales hmm. and the you know darker um stouts mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. more i guess english style beers i wonder if that's just a reaction to you know uh decades centuries actually of drinking these very light clear cold kind of simple flavors and you know a lot of this microbrewery effort could be world there is so much other stuff out there you know just just bringing diversity to the american beer palette i think that's it i think it's also like a reaction against big brewing and anheuser-busch being the biggest brewer mm -hmm. they make one particular beer and that's mm -hmm. pretty much all they make i believe they make a light version of that one particular beer as well they make an even lighter version of lager <laughs> It's called water. Yeah, I think that's, yes. <laughs> we bottle it. Speaking of Budweiser, before we get um, off of Budweiser, and you won't hear us mention this anymore in the podcast, I do want to mention something called Nassau Brewing Company. So they were established in 1849. They became the Bedford Brewery in 1866. They were sold in 1884, and listen carefully, renamed the Budweiser Brewing Company, quote, in reference to the quality of beer in Budweiss, Bavaria, in Germany, unquote. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, inevitably, Anheuser-Busch brought suit against the owners for copying their name, which had been trademarked in 1878, eight years earlier. So the name was wow. changed in the end to Nassau Brewing Company, and they did close in 1914. It's amazing how much power they had even back then. I mean, it was a copyright. Also, they... they uh, that. You know that wasn't true, necessarily a uh, the the giant coming in. It, it was it was pretty tricky and sneaky to to try to get the name in the first place because I think Budweiser was big from the start. Like I don't think there was a whole lot of struggling along to to get up to the the top of the of the pile. Yes, definitely. But we are not here to discuss St. Louis beer. No, we are here to discuss Brooklyn beer, and so I will just. Well, let's go back a little bit more before we hit the new stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, there's, I mean, I can talk for, for hours about the old places. That's good, because I can talk forever about Prohibition, so we're totally Fabulous. covered. Fabulous. Just to give you, our listening audience, a bit of a timeline, beer in America, obviously it's been around. It, it came with the pilgrims. Literally, they brought barrels onto the shore. But beer really took off around the 1850s when German immigrants started showing up and were literally pouring into the country and setting up breweries. They knew how to brew, and they certainly found a lot of uh, people eager to buy. They, let's see, New York State from 1810 to 1840 is home to the largest brewing industry in the U.S., had 405 active breweries in New York State. Which That's just New York State. is amazing. Can you believe that? I know, I know. And things were going strong. Let's see, 1829 was the first commercial brewery. This was Pennsylvania. It was Yingling. At the time, it was Eagle Brewery. You can still buy Yingling today, but who cares? Because it's not in New York City. 
for the purposes no. of this podcast, of course. Stuff was huge in Milwaukee, of course, Anheuser-Busch in St. Louis. And then stuff got tricky. Things got harder for the beer industry. The first thing that happened is in 1915, the Lusitania was torpedoed by the Germans. So this kicks off World War I, and there's a very anti-German fervor in the country. And of course, you've got Schlitz and Schrafts and Dolger and Ballantine. These are yeah. German names, and people are... Americans are boycotting everything German. They actually refer to it as Kaiserbrau. They named Kaiser. Beer, oh, Kaiser that's my the favorite. I also saw it called German Brew, and I was German like, Brew. Yeah. Wow, we did drum up, you know, bad, you know, bad sentiment. You're like, don't drink this. Mm-hmm. The Germans make it. You'll you'll be supporting Germany. Yeah. And of course, the only thing that could possibly happen then people deciding to boycott everything German is in 1920 prohibition. Right. A lot of, it's really interesting how a lot of breweries tried to survive, and a lot of them did. One of them actually thrived. We'll talk about that in a minute. In 1920, the situation was, they knew it would be repealed. They didn't know when. So, a lot of them switched to brewing near beer, which had one half of 1% alcohol. It's what was legal. It, at first, they thought that, because the, when the bill for, when the amendment was first being proposed and passed, it said, it mostly talked about hard spirits. And so a lot of hmm. breweries and, you know, um, wine distributors and winemakers, wineries, mm-hmm. thought they were going to be able to get away with it. They thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, we're not really selling liquor, so maybe we'll just be able to skate by. Mm-hmm. But alas, no. Nope, nope. Still. Um, it's, I mean, to see like how hard, you know, the, prohibition hit especially brooklyn mm-hmm. it goes from 1898 being the brewing capital of the u.s like you said mm-hmm. like 50 breweries mm-hmm. in 1973 which granted is years after prohibition there are only three breweries left mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the city and come 1977 there are no breweries left in brooklyn so. yeah 1977 was that was it and uh yeah i mean even after prohibition was repealed so that's 1933 13 years later most of the smaller breweries had, had folded. There, there was no way that they could come back. So it was really a couple of the major ones who were able to really come back. And, and not many in, in New York City. And, uh, and yeah, it was by the sixties, the beer industry in general in the country was pretty much back on its feet. But even then, yeah, New York was not, uh, not thriving. And as Kate mentioned a second ago, 1977, they were all gone. That was it. So Right. I mean, the breweries that could last through Prohibition, mm-hmm. obviously Anheuser-Busch, the, you know, the big three that you have now, mm-hmm. um, they're able to make it because Anheuser-Busch at the time is making ice cream, root beer. Yeah. There's something that um, breweries were making, which is called um, malt extract. Mm-hmm. They're also malt making extract. corn syrup. And so they were selling malt extract. I'm not sure what they were telling Oh, what they were saying it was for, but it's essentially for homebrewers. So they yes. were kind of giving people the way to make their own beer without actually. I believe there even were along. instructions that, that might not have been quite this explicit, but they were like, whatever you do, don't brew this malt extract with don't this amount do of water. This. Don't yes. add yeast to it and leave it alone for two weeks, or you may inadvertently create. A, a beverage of intoxicating potency, or you know, they. And I don't, I don't know if it was that explicit, but they, they told you how to make it. They, they let you 
have the raw ingredients and make the stuff you needed at home. Yeah. Well, the biggest place in the five boroughs that was making the big, the area, like Kathleen said, that was doing the most brewing was in Bushwick. It mm-hmm. was an area called Old Brewers Row. Mm-hmm. This area with this area, which is, I think it's a 14 block radius, mm-hmm. produced more beer than Detroit and Milwaukee combined at That's, some point. I have the, I have the information at 12 block square from Shoals to Miserol and Bushwick Place to Lorimer Street. So this is, I mean, I'd give you some landmarks there, but it's, it's Bushwick. <laughs> it's Bushwick yeah. and, and North Williamsburg. And, and yeah, this was just the, it was a neighborhood of breweries and their mansions and, uh, and everything they needed to, uh, to make beer. I mean, they were doing really well before the prohibition. You know, there's farming land nearby. Mm-hmm, They're mm-hmm. giving the spent grain and hops to the local farmers, mm-hmm. um, which one of my favorite breweries does now, Dogfish Head. Mm-hmm. They even, one brewer went into, um, help to start a glass making company in the mm. area so that they would have an easy way to get bottles mm-hmm. for their beer. Mm-hmm. Most breweries were, most beer was sold in the bar. And if mm-hmm. you bought a bottle of beer, it was much more expensive. Mm-hmm. But see, you know, they're already thinking about industry in advance. Sure. Post prohibition, they just couldn't make it last. I think there wasn't enough space to grow. Mm-hmm. You've already got the city being, you know, all around you. There's no longer this farmland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, high, you know, energy costs um, are raise are rising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Advances in transportation, so you can make beer elsewhere, and it'll be cheaper to have a factory, say, in somewhere upstate, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then ship it than actually have your factory here. Mm-hmm. The invention of steel means you have. You you can can the beer suddenly, and mm-hmm. that's half the weight of a bottle. It's stackable. It's mm-hmm. less packaging, reduced shipping costs. So, of and course, people are starting to move out. GIs were big fans of cans of beer because that's how they distributed beer to the soldiers. So they came back after World War II, and they had they liked the beer in the cans. And it's really interesting. You see old beer commercials, and they're opening these cans of beer the way you or I would open a can of chocolate syrup with, like, the, the key that you have the to key. cut yes. the, the hole in the top. And then then there was this revolution in beer cans, which is the pop top or the ring tab pole. It's, I mean, it's, it's just so silly to see someone open it with that instrument. And then they're like, now you can throw your can openers away and, and use this revolutionary new pop top, which, of course, we use as much as we can today. Although, you know what? Let me think. I can't think of the last time I drank beer out of a can. Can you? Oh, yeah. I actually, within the last week or so, um, Six Point Brewery here mm. in Brooklyn mm-hmm. uh, is starting to release. Usually, you could own, at first, you could only buy Six Point in a bar, just yeah. like traditionally. You could only get it on draft. Mm-hmm. But they're actually starting to can their beers now. Not bottles. Um, cans. Not bottles. They're actually beers. canning it because... They say um, it's easier to recycle. Mm. It's it, all the same reasons. It's lighter. It's half the weight of a bottle, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's easier to ship. It's kind of the same reasons they were, you they know, they were the doing place. cans in the first place. Sure, sure. Doesn't break. Um, yeah, definitely. My favorite. I actually found a really great quote for why brewing died in Brooklyn, essentially, Mm -hmm. for a while. Mm -hmm. It's from the Dictionary of the History of American Brewing and Distilling Industry by William Down. Mm -hmm. He says, industry-wide factors of concentration, 
competition,、mm-hmm. and growth of national breweries, combined with the fact、mm-hmm. that Brooklyn plants were not modern enough to keep up with new standards of economy and efficiency,、mm-hmm. contributed to the decline. Interesting. Wow. And then, kind of, Bushwick doesn't recover.、Mm-hmm. It, it kind of the neighborhood kind of spirals down. Breweries are just gone.、Mm-hmm. the The industry leaves the city、mm-hmm. essentially.、Mm-hmm. Well, just to give a couple a couple just more of the of the breweries that did exist, and then the sad times of prohibition, and of course, the modern time. Um, I do have to mention Knickerbocker and Ruppert. So Knickerbocker and Ruppert Brewery.、Right. This is all on the Upper East Side. 90th to 94th Street between Second and Third Avenues. The site is now three massive apartment complexes, but they are each named、Ooh. to preserve the memory. So there's a Knickerbocker Tower, there's a Yorkville Tower,、Ooh. that was the neighborhood, and Ruppert Tower. This is interesting. You can go there. For one thing, the face of the clock. There was a clock tower, the Ruppert Tower. There was a fire. The clock itself was not destroyed; just the building itself. The face of the clock is on the Hall Street side of the Pratt Institute Power Plant now. I all you know, I lived right across the street from there for <laughs> a long time. Look at the face、time. of that clock all the time, and that was the the Ruppert Brewery、so、funny. clock tower clock. Fortunately, the heat didn't harm the mechanisms of the clock; just the tower. You can visit the old brewery site on Third Avenue between East Ninetieth and Ninety Fourth. In Ruppert Tower, so this is that massive apartment building. In Ruppert Tower, there is、mm-hmm. a display case with items from the brewery that were discovered when laying the foundation for the building. There is also a photo、mm-hmm. photo of、uh, Colonel Jacob Ruppert Jr.、Uh, what they say in this website is just ask at the front desk, and they will direct you to this little display because it's not right in the main lobby, but it's kind of off on a salt side hallway.、Um, Colonel Jacob Ruppert Jr.'s apartment building is still there. He was the original tenant. That's at the northeast corner of East Ninety Third and Fifth Avenue, and at the southeast corner was the site of the former Ruppert Mansion, which was destroyed in 1926 after his mother's death. It also mentions something called the Kolping House, a German youth hostel built in 1888. In the lobby is a huge marble tablet with the names of the brewers, including Ruppert, who donated towards its construction. That is 165 East 88th Street, between First and Second Avenues. Interestingly, Ruppert bought the New York Yankees in 1915, and he turned what was then a struggling team into this American League powerhouse that they are today. Even I know that, and I am not into sports. With his <laughs> profits, he bought the first Yankee Stadium, and he bought talent like Babe Ruth and Wade Hoyt. Later, the the Yankees were actually sponsored by Ballantine Beer,、uh, a street on the western edge of Yankee Stadium. I guess old Yankee Stadium now. Between East 157th and 161st Streets, Doughty Street was named for Ruppert, and that was in 1933. It's great because I always see these streets, and I'm like, "Who is this? What is、Ruppert、that name? Why, you... why do they have a street? Exactly, exactly. Someday you'll have a street, Kate. Just you wait." Leonard Epig Germania Brewery, and that was founded in Bushwick.、Uh, this is interesting because when the Roman Catholic parish was started on Jefferson Street in Bushwick, it was named Saint Leonard's. In honor of Leonard Epig's son, and another parish nearby on Bleecker Street was started near the brewery. It was named Saint Barbara's to honor Epig's daughter. I know for a fact Saint Barbara's is still around. I'm not sure about Saint Leonard's. There's so so many, and I'm not even going to talk about all of them because there's so so many of them. But、uh, there are a few that are worth mentioning. There's Peel's Brewery, 
which is in East New York. They allowed their employees to drink their product on the job. That did not last very long, though. I was going to say, I can't imagine that would be conducive to couldn't working. work for a long-term plan. There's a story written by someone who was a salesman for Ballantine Beer. And it was still owned by the Ballantine family and brewed in Newark. So this isn't, um, you know, New York City, of course. is Newark, but it's right there. It's not really New York City, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. This is interesting. Ballantine was selling enormous amounts of beer. So this is like the three circles, if you ever see that. Um, I don't think you can get it anymore, of course. Unfortunately, because of fantastic sales volume, the brewery cut some corners and put a batch of green beer into the market. Many people got sick on this batch, and the Puerto Rican community, which is almost 100% Valentine loyal, was completely lost overnight. And this, this could have been wow. a few years ago that this person posted this, but they said, I'm sure if you ask an older Puerto Rican in New York City about Valentine, he will tell you about the beer will make you sick, and that's even 50 years later. So they managed to entirely uh, alienate an entire group of uh, otherwise loyal customers. I have one more one more anecdote about an old brewery that is no longer around, and that is Rheingold. Oh. So just to, <laughs> I know what you're gonna I know what you're thinking. There's some background. Rheingold opened in Brooklyn. Let's see Samuel Liebman and his sons Henry and Charles. They're very successful. They actually helped the area around the brewery a lot. They paid attention a lot of attention to the neighborhood they were in. They improved the housing. They improved the drainage. Let's see, in 1976, they closed. But this is something I hope I hope our listeners can write in about and tell us. There are reports that it's you've been able to buy it recently, it's places in the tri-state area. I'm not 100% sure about this. But whenever anyone mentions Rheingold, of course, what a lot of people think of is Miss Rheingold, the Miss Rheingold contest. Every year, uh, a beautiful young woman was chosen as Miss Rheingold. 1965 was the last one. Now, here's the thing. Miss Rheingold was always white. Oh. And there was a, always, you know, always having Miss Rheingold white, they were concerned that this might alienate their growing black and Hispanic markets. But, of course, a black or Hispanic Miss Rheingold could get backlash from your white customers. So they saw this as a lose-lose situation, and that was the end of the Miss Rheingold Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen Rheingold in person? I have. Well, I've seen cans of it. Okay, okay. But not not like something you've actually been able to consume? No, sadly. But it's also Me not... Either. I don't think it's kind of my kind of beer, so... It's old. It's, it's, it's retro. It's classic. What are you trying to say? I only like retro classic things? I'm saying you could appreciate it. I, you, I could appreciate be able to have it. One. There's actually yeah. um, one of my favorite bars, another shout out, mm-hmm. is Lucky Dog Bar in Williamsburg. Lucky has Dog. a fantastic mm-hmm. beer menu, and I think they actually have cans of Rheingold on the wall. On the wall. Urgh! I think I think you're right. I think that's where I've seen Rheingold is on the wall. Novelty things. I did see a report on one uh, web forum that said you could get retro beer at Yankee Stadium. But apparently they had a retro beer stand which served Schaefer, Rheingold, Ballantine, and Schlitz. Oh, I have had some now, of those. What's that? I have had some of those. Which which of those have you had? Schaefer, Ballantine, uh, and Schlitz. 
I've had Schlitz. I've never had Schaefer or Valentine or Rheingold. No, no. But then there was there is a rumor. You know, they're talking about getting retro beers. One person says, at some point, the ownership of Rheingold, Schaefer, Valentine. Uh, this person mentions Lucky Lager, uh, Nickelbacher, Peels. He says labels and distribution rights were farmed out to other breweries. Those breweries produced their own label beers and, quote, football, unquote, the old labels hmm. as economic nostalgia beers, but they are not brewed in the original manner. So, A, I don't know what it is to football a label. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that as a verb before. I've never either. So if somebody wants to explain that to us, <laughs> yeah. feel free to But I'm guessing in. from context clues, they would, like, use old labels to be uh, to be like, hey, it's like Rheingold, and it's not really, because it's not brewed the same way. That's That's as far as I know about retro beer. But everyone, you know, keep your eyes out. If you see... Rheingold, Valentine, Schlitz, if you see Schaefer, Knickerbocker, I've read a lot about that stuff. Any of those, keep your eyes open, let us know if you see them. They might be worth having a taste of, but even if they are, it still might not be the, the original recipe. Now we have this revitalization of breweries and beer mm -hmm, in the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some really good breweries that are kind of nationwide. You can buy, I mean, you have obviously Brooklyn Brewery being very big, and you can buy that. Mm -hmm. I've even seen it in Virginia when I visited okay, my family. Okay, okay, wow. So it gets everywhere, yeah. Hmm. I'd be happy to bring up just a few of the breweries okay, that we have okay. here during this new microbrew, craft brew, revitalization mm -hmm. movement. The craft brew movement is more about, you know, ales and trying to show mm -hmm. ingredients and, you know, special specialty things that the big breweries really aren't putting into mm -hmm, their mm -hmm. beers. So you have the Bronx um, Brewery, which makes a Bronx mm -hmm. Pale Ale, which is an American-style mm -hmm. pale ale. Of course, you have Brooklyn Brewery. There's Chelsea Brewing, which is, I believe, a brew pub. I don't know. It, I know it's done Chelsea Piers. I'm not sure how it, how it operates, though, because I know you can go there and buy it. So they might have the whole Heartland Brewery exception to the rule. Well, you do have Greenpoint mm -hmm. Beer Works, which became, which starts, um, they mm. brew for everyone. They brew for mm. Six Point, you know, they kind of have extra Oh, vats. so they're just like the, and so the hardware, kind of, I guess, and, and other people make use of that, or? Right, but they also now do their own beer, which is called I've Kelso, mm -hmm. um, which mm -hmm. is pretty popular. Um, but yeah, they are, they're really amazing. They're actually kind of over by me, kind of in the Fort Green area, Fort Green, mm. Prospect Heights area and um you can actually stop by there on friday mm -hmm. afternoons and they'll give you a pointing tour, a pointing kind tour. Of, <laughs> okay. and you can a pointing tour they won't give you they won't yeah. like walk you through but they'll say hey uh -huh. that's that and that's that <laughs> but um they're actually really good for i think they're a great company in terms of mm -hmm. community um which a lot of these breweries now are really big into getting the community involved in what they do you can go by, take your growler mm -hmm. to the brewery, and they'll just kind of tap the big, nice. huge vat and give you a really fresh growler full of beer. They also do something called Pint mm -hmm. for Pint, where if you donate a pint of blood in certain <laughs> locations, they'll give you a free voucher Are for you serious? a pint of beer. That's great. Yes, I am re I'm How totally going to do this now. How is that possibly legal? I just don't... 
Okay, well, you can't you can't get it I that mean, moment, obviously, because you're really not in the best shape for drinking. Obviously a beer. not. Okay. No, they give yeah. you a voucher, and you do have to look and see which locations are doing it and which locations that are honoring so it. Great. So, I think they hope that you'll go out and have some food I and then hope have a beer. So, wow, or like they say, this isn't valid for three hours or something like that. Exactly, exactly. There may be the bar they're telling you to go to that is three hours. Um, but the, you know, they, like I said, they brew for Six Point, they brew for mm-hmm, Heartland, mm-hmm. they kind of brew for everybody. They just have a ton, they have mm-hmm. a lot more space than mm-hmm, what they mm-hmm. brew. And they're so local that I'm not sure really outside the city how easy it is mm-hmm, to find mm-hmm. Kelso. That is extraordinary. Um, but of course, you have yeah. Brooklyn Brewery, mm-hmm. like I said, Chelsea, um, Six Point, which is a fantastic beer that's just becoming available where you can buy it and not mm-hmm, just in a mm-hmm. bar. Um, there's a Times Square brew pub. See, Times I've never Square heard brewery. of that. I take your word for it. There are some really great tours in the city. Some of these breweries will mm-hmm. give you a tour. Brooklyn Brewery has its uh, mm-hmm. weekend tours, but also if you can make it during the week, they do like almost like a master's mm-hmm. reserve tour. Mm-hmm. It's eight bucks. You get to taste like all the beers that never really make it out, just like ones that are special. Really? Why would they even make ones that are so special edition. that don't get outside? Well, they do sell them to local bars in I Williamsburg. See. So you can mm-hmm. get a draft at like a Brooklyn brewery, like a bar that okay. has a lot of their beers. I can think of. So it's esoteric, but not impossible. Barcade. Barcade. Okay. What has about it? They will have like Brooklyn Brewery nights and they'll just have a lot of different nice. brews. Um, they, they just have beer nights where they pick a brewery, the brewery comes in, they have a lot of beers mm-hmm, you normally mm-hmm. couldn't get. I recommend Urban Oyster has a mm-hmm. tour of mm-hmm. New York where you can, you get on a bus, and they give you pizza and they take you to Four or five different places. They take you to Chelsea Brewery. They take you mm. to Spite and Dival, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. beer bar. Brooklyn Brewery. And I think they take you to the Bohemian Beer Garden. Oh, okay. All the way up to In Astoria. And okay. um, so it's like 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then you get to have pizza and beer and go around and you get to hear the history. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of what we just told you, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> that means we got it. Yes. You could probably learn something new. And Urban Oyster is a really great resource for New York City yes. history. So I yes. recommend everybody yeah, check it out. I highly recommend their stuff, definitely. That is that is cool. I do want to mention another upcoming event uh, at the New York Historical Society. They have an upcoming exhibition, oh. Beer Here, Brewing New York's History. And that opens May 25th, 2012. In addition, the New York Historical Society is hosting a series of beer tastings on Saturday afternoons starting May 26th. There's a 2 o'clock one and a 4 o'clock one for each of these. May 26th is the Saranac, the Matt Brewing Company. It's a Saranac White IPA featuring Fred Matt, president of the Matt Brewing Company. Saturday, June 2nd is Kelso. Have a taste of Kelso and meet Kelly Taylor, the brewmaster at Kelso Beer Company. Saturday, June 9th at 2 p.m., Keegan Ales. Meet Jeff Wenzel, head brewer, and Zach Kelly, the assistant brewer. There's a lot of these beer tastings. It's a really, really amazing thing that the Historical Society is doing. You want to get to it if you can. Bronx Brewery is featured on June 16th. Harlem Brewery on June 23rd. And you get to meet 
founders or brewmasters or, uh, you know, the people who are bringing you these excellent local beers. Blue Point Brewing will be June 30th. Captain Lawrence Brewing Company on July 7th. And Denise Brewing Company on July 14th. This is a lot of New York State stuff. These aren't all the New York City Brewing Company that, uh, that we have locally. But just I highly recommend getting out and supporting what the New York Historical Society is doing. It's really amazing stuff. Heartland Brewery will be there on July 21st. Ithaca Beer Company, July 28th. Now, these are all $35. Our members can go for $20. Um, Bronx Brewery, try their IPA, is Saturday, August 11th. And Keegan Ales, again, are back on Saturday, August 18th. So I will definitely be at some of these, if not all of these. New York Historical Society, again, you can go to the website and check it out. They are at 77th Street and Central Park West. But there will be this ex- this uh, exhibition, Beer Here, Brewing New York City History, which opens May 25th of 2012. So check that out. Yeah, I just really like to recommend people go to your local, you know, support your local brewery. Mm-hmm, go mm-hmm. take a tour. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn Brewery opens the brewery on Friday night. So you can just like kind of go and get tokens and have beer and enjoy it. It's very crowded. But you know, I just recommend contacting your local brewery and just saying, you know, how much you enjoy it or trying to get in and learn more about what they do and support mm-hmm. them as best you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, for one, am pleased with the recovery New York City has made since Prohibition and then, of course, since 1977 where there were no more breweries. Yeah, I think we've made a great comeback and uh, mm-hmm. very proud of all those breweries here in Brooklyn. Indeed. And we will do our best to support them. And so should you, listeners. Well, thanks for listening this week. Uh, we look mm-hmm. forward to seeing you again next week. And mm-hmm. otherwise, go out, enjoy a really good beer, and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you learned something you hadn't known. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. This night of New York City Hey Kathleen, what are you doing? I think I'm free. Okay, you want to go get some beer? I would love to get some beer. Okay. <laughs>